How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 174. I was thinking about this yesterday. Yes. It, it was. It felt not long ago we did 150. I know, right? And we're already at nearly 175. That's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. Getting straight into it. Jake. <laughs> yes. Do you have a trivia fact for the film of the week? I do, for, for, of course, Toy Story, the original Toy Story from mm. 1990. A story about toys. Five. A story about toys. They really fought hard about that title <laughs> over at Pixar, which is quite funny. But, you know, in regards to Pixar, it, it's not so much a trivia fact, but more so, Zeke, a film recommendation, if anything. Now, I talked about this film way back on episode 25. So we're going way back into the, the blind spotting days with Jesse Newell as our guest star where I talked about having seen the documentary, The Pixar Story, which is now much more easily available. It's on Disney+, Plus. you can go watch it. But what I found really special about this documentary, it actually has the archive of footage, the moment when the producers, they got the green light, they got the word from Disney to make a feature film, the very first CG animated feature film ever. And uh, particularly Raph uh, Gudenheim, I believe his name is the one of the producers, walks into the Pixar office and says, or announces to everyone, we're making a film. And it's like that moment in time, considering the how important Pixar mm. is to the landscape of animation and cinema, especially in the 90s, which is the decade we're covering in this uh, it is in this countdown for the decade. So I think it's really cool that that's captured on camera. So that, that's my trivia slash film recommendation is to watch a Pixar story on Disney+. Plus. Mm. What about you, Zeke? What's your, what's your trivia well, fact for to me? sort of uh, build on your point, Jake, and mm. give credit to the animation team, which was revolutionary with this film as we'll talk about in Absolutely, the second half of the show. Yeah. Little fun little fact about the animation team perfected the movement of the toy soldiers by nailing a pair of sneakers to a sheet of wood and trying to walk around in them. <laughs> That's brilliant. Sort of a, a life imitating art, but you know, we've sort of seen that over you know, obviously in especially news with like the new Avatar two trailer coming out in the last Yeah, week. that dropped like minutes after our last week's episode yeah. release, and I was like, damn it, <laughs> we can talk about it then. So, well, we can talk about it a bit in this show, yeah. um, but it's obviously that, and talking about the whole motion capture and stuff, mm. and this is obviously very primordial uh, <laughs> motion capture, talking about yeah. putting a couple of sneakers together and sort of understanding how that movement would work, which, to be fair, is probably one of the more entertaining parts of the film we're going to be talking about. At least it's quite a fun little bit. I, I've always yeah. loved that scene with the, oh, the, the toy, toy, soldiers, toy yeah. soldiers doing the reconnaissance. I, I think that's actually the first scene they fully animated for the film. It's so there you go. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's one of, if not my highlight scene. So, oh, yeah. there you go. We're jumping right in. But Zeke, I have a question for you. Yeah. The poster behind you, 1100 films you must watch at least once in your lifetime. Is Toy Story on that poster? Yeah. It yeah, is. Of course it is. The big question is, Jake, mm. how many of those Toy Ooh. Stories are on the poster behind me? That's a good or question. Or are worthy well, of being on the poster behind me? Oh, you know, it's tough because the last time I watched all the Toy Stories was right before 4 came out. And we mm-hmm. did Toy Story 4 around that episode 25, 23 period. Um, and I... I think they work so well together as a collective. It's hard for me to tell you what my favorite is. Maybe the third would be my favorite. I'm not too sure, but I'm curious how many they would actually put on there. Now, I know Toy Story 4 is not on there. The poster only goes to 2018. We'll get the answer in the second half of the show. Okay. So I don't be too delayed. We better we better remember. Well, the first one's obviously 
is definitely on there. We'll check yes. about the second and third later. Very exciting. I also wouldn't stuff. say the fourth one would deserve to be on there. I know we didn't ne- do that segment back when we did No, it. way, way ago. No. Well, yeah, I think it took us a little while to jump into our uh, distaste, I guess, for Toy Story 4. We both have issues with it, but thankfully we're not going to talk about that today. Yeah, we're but talk about a bonus one. trivia fact Ooh. that's relative to the show is okay. this is the first time ever we've done mm. a prequel film before a sequel film. All right. Show. Well, yeah, like going backwards from, you're right, having done Toy Story 4, now we're going to go back and do Toy Story 1. Never done that before. So the numbers are going to look confusing for people. Oh, th- this later episode covers this earlier film. What's going on? Yeah. But yeah, and and to your point, Zig, we might actually do the exact same thing in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Potentially. It's up to you, Instagram voters. Yeah. It's up to you. Pretty spicy. Yeah. But speaking of films, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? <laughs> That's a very loaded question, Zig. <laughs> it's a very loaded question. Uh, I've watched bips and bops of things across the week. It's not really... It's not really uh, accurate. I did watch an early kind of Chapman Station, which, of course, is a film that I worked on, I think, last August. I think I talked about the production of that and having gone down to, like, Harvey in that area for about... I think it was a weekend. It was, like, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. What I did the Monday, too. But but doing BTS for them down there. But that was, you know, it was really fun. Intense production. I was very sick during it. But um, I saw Andy the other day, and we watched it in his home theater, the early cut, and it's shaping up really well so i'm very excited about that i watched the first couple of minutes of the father which is the film i the documentary i talked about last week that was coming out which is about um sort of this scandal with a bunch of half sisters finding out about their related dna and and all leading to one very uh sinister uh sperm donor is probably the nicest way to call this this person and like i said i've only seen the first few minutes for whatever reason i keep getting distracted and i keep not actually sitting down to watch the film. Mm-hmm. I do want to watch it. it. Looks good. A lot of reenactments, which I'm like, mm, okay, we'll we'll see. <laughs> I'm kind of fifty fifty on the reenactment heavy docos, mm-hmm. uh, but I will get to that. The other one I've seen bits and bobs of is the staircase. So I think that's a new bin show yep. with Tony Collette. And now, for those who don't know, it sort of follows the mysterious death of Katherine Peterson and the suspicion of her husband Michael Peterson. Probably I know Colin Firth. Colin Firth plays him, and he is wow. Like, I, I'm, I haven't seen the mannerisms of this particular person. I know there's a documentary, I think, on Netflix about the real-life situation. He actually had a real documentary crew following him during, like, the, the lead-up to the trial and all of this stuff. Um, but the, from what I saw, bits of it, he's fantastic, and Tony Collette's fantastic, and it, it looks really great. So I might actually try and watch it. It's, it's pretty short. It's only, like, five mm. episodes. So I'll try and catch it. I know you don't have Binge anymore. So No, unfortunately... Got to let it go right now, but hopefully I'll get it back by the time Westworld season four, mm. the final season of Westworld. Oh, is it really? Yeah, fourth oh, and final. So damn. very spicy, you know. Bit of Aaron Paul, which you know, you've you've been saying that Aaron Paul's mm. been featuring in your uh, final home stretch of Saul. So yeah, well, not quite yet, but he's he's around the corner. I'm sure. You were having an interesting conversation off the show with uh, Oliver about the age of characters, which I found quite interesting about how certain characters mm. are quite old but having to play younger versions of themselves yeah well we even talked about this on our El Camino discussion about everyone was clearly several years older than than the characters in Breaking Bad and they didn't really do much to to hide that fact and the same for Better Call Saul like it only really started bugging me this year how old Mike looked compares to his Breaking Bad version was like yeah no he's really starting to look a lot 
older and even Gus and, and obviously Bob Odenkirk. like, I'm starting to see it. I was usually pretty good at putting my blinders on, mm-hmm. but I'm really starting to see the age gap is starting to seep yeah, in there. And I'm, prevalent, yeah. yeah, and I'm really worried about Aaron Paul because it's looking like he's going to come back as like high school Jesse. And that's going to be really hard for them to... <laughs> Take him and make up. I know. We'll see. We'll see how they do with that. They could always do the old, uh, well, the Scorsese effect, right? Could yeah, but fake it? I guess the thing is like, I don't... Up until this point, they've done, you know, how like six seasons of Soul. They did the movie, Alchemy. They've done all of that without any attempt at hiding the age. Mm. Like not like to the extent where they would use the CG, like face tracking and all of that. So I, I just don't know, even if they could afford to do it, I don't know if that's their style. I think I think they kind of like almost acknowledging how much older everyone mm-hmm. is. I don't know. It's it's interesting, but we'll see when Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston do show up in Seoul eventually. Uh, the other thing I ended up rewatching. this was down my, of course, my rabbit hole of the uh, research into early days of Pixar mm-hmm. and the Pixar story, the documentary, um, when Steve Jobs shows up. And we always forget how instrumental Steve Jobs was into the early days of Pixar and, and Toy Story the film mm-hmm. so i ended up just watching jobs again getting into that the action kutcher version which is <laughs> not the good version between those two but i will say look the editing in that film is rough it there's some appalling editing decisions in it but and the performances aren't amazing but i am a sucker for the the very very typical biopic i'm a sucker for it at times especially a capitalistic one i'm glad the social network's great because I probably would have watched it just as many times, even if it wasn't great, just because of the the, the capitalistic story behind it. I always love those kinds of those characters and that drive and all of those things. But yeah, so those are all like little bips and bops and rewatches I've done over the week. There's something particularly I want to talk about with you, but I'll let you go first. What in the last week have you been watching, Zeke? Yeah, look, bit of dry week for me, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <look>. um, <laughs> I don't. I actually couldn't tell you. I mean, I I spent. The weekend at Rottnest, so that was that was a bit of a yeah. whole little getaway, yeah. uh, which was God, what a beautiful location! Why aren't more films shot in Rottnest? I um, love Rottnest Island. Yeah. I love Rottnest Island. Yeah, really surprised there isn't more shot there because it's actually got quite a lot of character for a relatively small island, but a lot of um, yeah, a lot of like just having a lot of really fun time there with um with Lucinda, my my girlfriend. But yeah. um, no, to be honest haven't really caught much been sort of slowly um, an episode or two away from wrapping up season two of ted lasso mm, very nice saying its praises still holding by that it's a very good show um uh, kind of obviously it's a surprise given our disdain for apple tv as a platform but <laughs> the subject matter i mean we've actually done a lot of relatively positive things coming out of Apple TV this year. You know, we did Tragedy mm. of Macbeth and Yeah. You know, look, we talked we both about Coda, which won Best Picture. Yeah, which yeah. was quite you know, we both thought it was a quite a good film. Mm. Um emphasis on good. Um <laughs> not great. But no yeah, no better or worse than yeah, good. <laughs> good. Um and Ted Lasso is great. So I'm happy to say it's great. But it's it's sort yeah. of like yeah, that's just really all I've managed to catch in the last week. If you have Apple watch Wolfwalkers Get yeah, onto the that's that's my favorite. I almost, Apple film. I've got a couple of documentaries on there that I actually do want to get my my teeth stuck into because mm. they're actually quite enticing to look at. So I will uh, hopefully get a couple of those down in the next week or so. Would be nice. Yeah. But there's also On the Rocks, which we covered. Yeah, Sophia Coppola, Ad- adequate film. Yeah, that was early days. Like, that was very. We we saw that in a the theater. It was like a launch film. That was. It was one of their first. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
There oh. we go. But that's uh, all I've got for this week. So yeah, that's fair enough. Well, I have a pitch for us, Zeke. Okay. As opposed to our usual career update. Yes. I will talk about the last thing that I, I guess we sort of watched tangentially. I've got here. Now, I had this for a very, very long time. It is the Pixar Short Films Collection Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Now, there actually is Volume 2 and 3, to my surprise. Readily available. We'll go and buy them. Very cheap. Um, very cheap. It was like five, six bucks per, which is good. I might rebuy this one on Blu-ray, though. Mm. I'm tempted. <laughs> we, all know, we all know my... Uh, right. You can on. just add it to the donation pile. That's, uh, that is true. Yeah. I mean, hey, it did well. We're playing yeah. it at the tab, and people are like, hey, look, it's Pixar, and... Yeah, and it's sort of like yeah. actually kind of the perfect thing to have there because it's like short little stints. Yeah, very visual storytelling mm-hmm. for a lot of it, yeah. No, absolutely. So what this encompasses, this DVD I'm holding, is a lot of the early short films that Pixar did, a lot of the ones they made prior to Toy Story, a lot of the ones they made after Toy Story. It mm-hmm. ends with Lifted, which is the short film that played ahead of Ratatouille. So we're talking like 90... Oh, God, when did... When did the first one go? Like, 84, 1984 through to 2007. So, actually, mm. that's quite a long time. There's over yeah. two decades of short films. Yeah. But I figured it would be fun for us on this Toy Story podcast to go through a lot of the ones because we have very fond memories of these short films. Some early that played, day Pixar's. Yeah. Early day Pixar's. It either played in front of the movie at the theatre, which we have to talk about that to some extent, how Pixar revolutionised, or really, not revolutionised maybe, they revolutionised a lot of things. But this idea of like expecting the short film before the feature, yeah, that's... sort of like expecting the post credit scene in a superhero film. Yeah, exactly. And it's like for the '90s and early '80s, and for us as kids, it was very rare for us <laughs> to go in and and have that expectation of as like, oh, oh, it's Pixar, so there's going to be a short film that before the real film. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that we as children knew and expected that mm-hmm. is kind of awesome, and that they almost made it. Uh, not not a common thing. What's the word I'm looking for? But they they sort of normalise it again. Well, yeah, and it's sort of it's kind of an interesting thing because it's sort of they work both ways. So, like, if you take the the superhero film post credit scene versus this, they both add to your cinematic experience. Mm-hmm. So, when it's a superhero movie, you have to watch all of the credits, yes. which means. There is a, a you know a four or five minute span where you're there discussing the movie you've just watched. Mm. You might be commenting on some of the names you're seeing yep. or stuff like that. And all of that is actually this additional experience. Mm. Whereas this was obviously, you know, prior to the movie starting and it was the exact same thing. It was like you would have all of your ads and it would make you want to get to the cinema earlier because you wouldn't want to miss the chance right. of hitting that yeah. that small film beforehand. And then there's that that two minute window while the credits roll over the, of the short you've just watched the Pixar yep. short you've watched and then and your feature film starts where you would have a small discussion about that film yeah. whether you liked it or disliked it and that's kind of interesting it's all right because that also it becomes that iconic that tropic nature that 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 part of the experience which just sort of adds and it feels like. It's like everything. It's like that little bit of satisfaction. It feels like you're paying for a little bit extra. Mm, or, yeah. or it's making you want to go watch. Sometimes people would go watch the feature film again just to see the short. Again. Yeah, yeah. To, and it's like another sort of... It's, it's a gimmick. Yeah, it's probably a well, little it, bit it's, of a gimmick. It's their signature. You yeah. Know? And I think I think it went a, lot, a huge way into establishing Pixar's, like, their brand and, and I guess their, their style 
mm-hmm. and their the creative freedom, I guess, that they represent. Yeah, and we can. I mean, we could talk about little comments that you were making while watching. We watched it while I was working at the tavern. Um, yeah, so we just had it playing, and like like we said, they're very visual, small things. So they get a bit more elaborate as you get into the like post feature short films. Yeah, like the Mater and the and what's it called Mater and the Ghost Light <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack 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 Attack. Yeah, um, and it's it's sort of like one of those things. It's like because we have now we have in our my place of work, I created a blockbuster corner where people could donate <laughs> their DVDs and we could watch them at work. But, it, you know, and it's, you know, it's partly for the people that work there because we have very quiet times. But yeah. it's honestly one of those things where it's like really cool to kind of have a movie playing and people like just walk by and watch a scene here, watch a scene there and from different films. And, and this is actually was really kind of cool to do because we were sitting there kind of talking about the evolution of visual storytelling. Mm. Especially in the context of CG animation and the technological limitations that mm. they had to work around. And the emoting of inanimate objects yeah. to kind of meet the limitations of the time. Because, you know, if you've ever watched, you know, we've actually talked about it with Spielberg and Lucas and how they liked CGI, but they were trying to do too much with it too early. Right. Or not really understanding the limitation, And even in their later careers, not really understanding the limitations of of cgi and yeah, all the benefit of limitations yeah, and, yeah and exactly rounding it, your camera it, it's sort of like you know that honestly even now and it's kind of great we're talking about this in 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 line with avatar 2's trailer dropping because yeah. it's one of those things where it's like you need to understand that this this technology is great and we've made astronomical leaps in 30 years mm. but there's still limitations now. It's, you know, it's like thing. first things that spring to mind are like, oh, Moff Tarkin in, in Rogue One. It's like, I love Rogue One and I love what they did with him. But did he need to be in the whole movie? Probably not because Ben, you know, like, you know, you've got like a, they overuse it to the point where you start yeah. to look at the, just a little too much and you're like, ah, oh, doesn't look as real as I first thought it looked. Yeah. And it ages too. That's it ages big... a lot faster. And, and I think in that example as well, it felt too showy. Like, look what we can do. Look what we can do. Yeah. As opposed to using the limitations of technology and letting that enforce well, the creativity. Like in that situation, because it's obviously like like live action people. So people that are alive and people that aren't and, and trying to mesh the two and, and just overstaying the welcome. It's, it's even like, you know, you could argue to some extent... Why didn't like why didn't like with Scorsese's Irishman? Why didn't he just cast younger, younger Joe Pesci's actors, yeah, and stuff? Yeah. Like, what's the point of the deep fake there? Because it's a considerable length of the film, enough to be like look at it and go, well, that just doesn't look real at all. Like, yeah, and it actually detracts from the film he's trying to talk about. I know, I know. For that specific example, it was it was very clear because Scorsese just wanted to work with them. Yeah, yeah. And part of the allure was like they're going to do the whole film. It's not going to yeah. cut back and forth. But you, to your point, I, I've heard a lot of people say that that was distracting and that they almost would have preferred just have different actors come in. Yeah, like what's what's like what does like yeah, and I I get it and not get it because it's like they all career-wise, moved on the same trajectory, got famous kind of off the same sort of films right. and working together. So there's that meta-narrative going on, but it's like what Pixar did in those early days is, you know, we watched like that first short. So the very first one, it's called The Adventures of Andre and Wally B. So it's literally, I don't know what the, it's, it's obviously a bee chasing him, but what? Is Andre a creature or a humanoid? Yeah. I actually can't even remember. And there's a lot of facial animation stuff. And, and we you know you start to see, oh, like there's not a lot of... 
it very much just feels like an animation for animation's sake and mm. the visual storytelling doesn't come in for another couple of years where we start to but you know it's through the pixar lamp it's through the lamp that we actually start to see storytelling like you were commenting like with an inanimate objects yeah and giving them like poses and postures without the face to have them emote and to, you, know, you should find things cute and sad and to have those emotions with lamps but to animate them in such a way that we recognize the emotions that they're feeling mm-hmm. and then you write the fact that it gets more ambitious as we go on and on and um you look at stuff like so obviously that was luxo jr that's the one i'm referring to there red streams uh ting toy uh knickknacks so those are where they start bringing in more like the toys with facial recognition and they start playing with other things like i know i think knickknack that's the one with like the snow globe Mm -hmm. so i think that's sort of the technical advancement they're doing there i'm looking at my notes now um so tin toy includes and that's sort of the big inspiration for toy story is the one man band toy Mm. getting chased by a very creepy looking baby very creepy (laughs) but it's like that's when they start instead of just having like a single frame and then uh, models like moving and animating within the frame they start cutting around the room like, oh, let's do this cut let's do this cut and even experimenting with sound like the fact that he has like these all these instruments attached to him and now you're adding all this extra landscape so you can see them slowly like making things harder yeah. for themselves and then it comes to like you know by the time you get to what is what's it called a Griggs game is it what's oh this? Jerry's game Jerry's game mm. which is you know, we're starting to see, oh, now we're starting to put that story element in there and starting to mix in some serious visual comedy. And mm. and for for Jerry's game, we're actually starting to see human animation. Yes, which is yes. A big, a big step. Like, you're starting to actually see human characters. And obviously, by the time we move around into 2000 and, um, 2004 with The Incredibles mm. or even, even I would take that to, you know, because it's still under the comic book mantra, so it still gets away with little bit of not not as much human oh, the, realism. the Incredibles. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. That like, they, They're finally doing, like, real human characters in the feature length, and then Jack, Jack Attack obviously carries that yeah. on. But you're right, there's still an element of stylism there because they are superhumans. Superheroes. Yeah, yeah and it still has that. It's only DVD. really when you get to, <laughs> honestly, Ratatouille is the... Or, like, where you start to see more... At least closer to the photorealism human. Like, they, they almost start to create what the Pixar human looks like. And that's what I mean by mm. realism. So yep. Yep. like by, cause then by the time we get into like that second and third wave of, of Pixar films, like the inside outs and such like that, yep. we now have what the quintessential Pixar human being looks like. Yeah. They still start to look a little, especially the last few films that like we've talked about soul and, and Luca and um, turning red and that. And it's starting to become sort of distracting how similar the humans look. Because yeah. it's almost an, a continuous aesthetic. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, it's fine. It's Pixar's choice to have that continuous yeah. and aesthetic. And the creativity but... gets facilitated into the, the realms of fiction mm. more than uh, what a human looks like. But I think that's almost like what part of the charm is of early Pixar with these shorts and the features is having characters that are the plastic dolls instead of, you know, humanoid structure with skin and hair and those molecules and realistic-looking cloth and fur um obviously not monsters inc is fair but then you get those unique interesting character designs they're now so many of their films are just humans it's like oh well they all kind of look the same now yeah and especially when you compare it to like early main humor characters like i mean linguini was probably nothing too special but then linguini. if you look at carl from up yep. who's got oh, yeah. that distinctive box head or <laughs> like with the ridiculous chin like it's like yep. a very loud and boisterous 
male lead. And even, mm. you know, like those sort of ones you can start to see. Or even in Wally, how all the humans are basically just balloon men. Yeah, women. yeah. But then that also serves the story. Yeah. So, yeah. I think there there is definitely a very clear shift with Pixar. And I think the golden age is definitely in this early, like, 90s through to the Audis or the 2000s. Well, I think the perfect age is 2000 and what, 2006 to 2010. Is yeah, like the, yeah. When they've hit the true peak of anim- per- like gorgeous animation meets powerful storytelling yes, meets, yep. um, like, insurmountably, like, emotional films. Like, having all, like, ticking the emotional resonance meets artistry meets powerful story sort yep. of really cultivates in that 06 to 11 or uh, yeah i mean i mean for me it's definitely ratatouille wally up and toy story 3 like yeah. those four which i think that would be 07 to 2010 yeah that's insane four years yeah four like masterpiece films yeah and you're right it's the it's that final combination of like beautiful great storytelling with the animation and the, the heartfelt and the artistry especially of like wally for example like it's just unbelievable how they yeah. hit the strive there. And a lot of people would argue their strive was even earlier than that. Which, yeah. I, look, I mean, I, I think those are excellent. You yeah. Obviously, some people aren't a huge fan of the Bugs Life or Cars. Personally, I think I don't really get whether... Well, we were talking about how yeah. Cars is... Maybe Cars... Like, I always thought Cars and the Bugs Life were sort of lateral steps in the sense that... Sure. They weren't, act like, taking that... Like, really, they were just sort of still trying to work out how to create that emotional resonance. But I would argue, I mean, you would probably, I would probably say you could even push back to maybe Incredibles through to um, Toy Story 3. Okay. And then, yeah, you've well. got Cars in the middle there and Toy Story. <laughs> is Toy Story 2 in the middle? Of no, that? that's like 99. 99 Toy so, Story, that's pretty early. So. so, yeah, like, but Cars, I actually reckon has got a pretty good story. It's a bit more simplish compared to the other ones. Sure. But it's a good movie. It's not a bad movie. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think the standard is just set so ridiculously high that people just, just like po- it, they like to point it as the black sheep. Yeah, and it's like nah, it's uh, Cars is still great. I think Cars three is really good. Cars two sucks. No, oh no yeah, one, no, no, no one, one agrees on Cars two being Cars decent. two is Thor two. <laughs> <laughs> the car- yeah, the Cars trilogy is just the Thor trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people like the uh, third one. First one's sort of there, it exists. <laughs> Second one's definitely yeah. a no-go. Before we jump into our film of the week, Jake, yep. quick thoughts on Avatar 2 trailer. Um, Speaking of animation... It's, it's weird that people are so excited for it. Yeah, so it's really interesting, because we'll probably have to do the first one on the show when the second one comes out, because sure. of, once again, we maybe we should even do Titanic... Avatar back to back. God forbid our time. That's eight hours. No, we need to commit movies, to that. But, um, obviously, both films very culturally significant at their times, and Avatar especially birthed the the 3D era. Oh Jesus! Of, of cinema, yes, it did. In which no other movie even remotely came close to Avatar's effect of 3D. Wasn't well, it just the subtitles? That was the big one. No, with Avatar was really proficient. Okay. Avatar, I, I just Avatar, remember the Avatar, subtitles really sticking out in 3D. So <laughs> Avatar was the only film in that whole five-year stint where it was in, like, where the movie was explicitly designed with 3D in mind. Okay, yep. It wasn't, 
Like, it was like when Lucas re-released all the Star Wars movies in 3D. They released uh, Toy Story 1 and 2 in 3D. And it's, but none mm. of them were actually designed for course, it. Of course, yeah. So that none of them had the... It just ended up being an excuse to get your eyes hurting for two hours. <laughs> Avatar was the first and only film that you could watch that you were like, whoa, this is what cinema could be. But right. it's like this movie spent millions upon millions of dollars designing it to be like that. It, honestly, it's like something like Shrek 4D when they had that thing at Universal. Oh, uh, yeah. Where it's like this gimmicky, like, but it's an animation explicitly designed to get that oh yeah, effect. Yeah, it's a film made for that effect, yeah. And the thing with Avatar, it's like, I don't know if anyone's watched it in 2D, but it's not an interesting film. It's, <laughs> it's like three, nearly three hours. And it, yeah, look, I, I, I would love to give it a watch. Honestly, before watching the second yeah. one, just I've to be only like, seen Avatar the one time in cinemas as a child, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, this movie's interesting enough, I guess. Like, it's cool, but it's like everything. It's like the everything from the janky names, like the mineral they're mining is called. What is it? Unobtainium. Like, <laughs> like, wow. Unobtainium. You can tell the guy was a truck driver <laughs> hey, before hey, this. See, guess what? They obtain yeah. the unobtainium. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. It's like... Oh, my God. It's just everything from, like, the janky writing to the obvious plot points. And and I don't know. It's it's just been so long since I've seen it. Like, I cannot the, tell the you if it's a good film or not. The fact that when the second trailer... I haven't watched it yet, but it's like... Okay. People are, like, genuinely buzzed about it. Like, yeah. Like, visually, it looks great. I made it. I made the joke. I replied to the, the group chat, and I was like, exclusive to PS5. Like, it, it looks like you're watching a game trailer because it's like, look how pretty it looks. Yeah. It looks like Horizon Forbidden West. It's like, cool. I don't know what the story is. Michelle Yeoh's in it, which is cool, I guess. Several years before everything, everywhere, all at once came out. But, yeah. like, I just, I'm so, I don't, I, I guess it's done a, a 180 where it's been so long since the first one that most people went from who cares has been forever to kind of caring again because yeah. it's been so long. I mean, it's surprising. I don't, I, all I know is they body jump and then they have a ritual that can allow them to become that the alien, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like, that's the stuff of, like, where does that make sense? Like, a spiritual <laughs> ritual to, like, become something else? But all right, cool. Hey, um, I'll, I'll buy whatever they throw at me. I'm just... I think that's generally what it is. It's it's sort of done a 180 on the it's been so long, who cares, to it's been so long. I'm curious what this is. I'm staring at it right now, the original Avatar. It's the in the middle block there in the first. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that's actually a 3D Blu-ray right there, so let's go and watch it in 3D, Zeke. No worries. <laughs> well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week. Jake, it's the latest one from our mm. Countdown Through the Decade retrospective. It's the 1990s, but hey, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Toy Story. For anyone who's ever wondered what toys do when people aren't around... It's showtime! Walt Disney Pictures invite you into a world where toys come to life. Wow, cool! Woody, the veteran. Draw! Touch me again. Buzz, the rookie. Have you been replaced? No one's getting replaced. Excuse me. Well, Lightyear to the rescue. Oh. oh. 
okay. Who else? You're mocking me, aren't you? <laughs> Ow! What do you say I get someone else to watch the sheep tonight? <laughs> Hell yeah. Don't even think about it, cowboy. Two heroes ready for anything. I don't like confrontations. Except each other. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, a laser. It's not a laser. It's a, it's a little light bulb that blinks. What's with him? Laser envy. Guys, come on. <laughs> but that's about to change. <gasps> They've stepped over the edge. Oh, and into the real world. I think he bounced into Sid's yard. <laughs> he tortures toys. Where is your honor, dirtbag? A good soldier never leaves a man behind. Where the name of the game is survival. <laughs> I'm lost. Then it's all your fault. My fault. <laughs> I set my laser to kill. You're a toy. Use your karate chop hey, action. Hey. Stop that. What's going on? Come in, Star Command. Send reinforcements. You are a toy! You are a sad, strange little man. Who's that would be cowboy dog? All right, man. Move, 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 move. There's no place like home. Come on, this way. Negative. Ah. We'll be much safer in the cockpit. What an idiot. Great idea, Woody. Go infinity and beyond. Walt Disney Pictures presents the first ever computer animated motion picture. They've got trouble. This holiday season, take off on an adventure. This cannot be happening to me. Beyond imagination. Sheriff, this is no time to panic. This is the perfect time to panic. It's the story of two partners <laughs> discovering what they're made of. I'm okay. Catch this. I got it, Woody. Next stop, Andy. Go to infinity and beyond. <laughs> Toy Story. Look out. Buzz, will you get up here and give me a hand? <laughs> That's very funny, but This is serious! Led by Woody, Andy's toys live happily in his room until Andy's birthday brings Buzz Lightyear onto the scene. Afraid of losing his place in Andy's heart, Woody plots against Buzz, but when circumstances separate Buzz and Woody from their owner... The duo eventually learns to put aside each other's differences. Wow, that spoils a lot there. <laughs> you just spoiled the whole movie, Zeke. This whole 70-minute uh, film. 70-minute <laughs> film. Is it really 70 It's minutes? tiny, man. It is. Oh, it says 81 minutes. It's 81 minutes. That's a tight Still, film. That is a tight film. I mean, this is why this is... Which one did you watch the most? Did you watch this one the most out of... Ooh. Because I think I watched I reckon, two more. Yeah, two's up there. I'm with you there. Because it's like... 99, so obviously we were both born in 97. Yeah. So by the time we're sitting at home watching VHSs and like interpreting what's on the screen, it could easily have been Toy Story 1 or 2. I think it would be 2 for me. I would, you know I what? Like toy, I honestly like 2. Obviously, 2's story is a little bit more creative, too. Sure. I, you know, I think it's pretty, between the three of them, it's pretty evened out which ones are people's favorites. I've heard tons of people reckon 2's better than 1. Oh, Which, I, th- I think three is the best. Yeah, I agree. Story I agree. And emotional resonance as well as talking yeah. about that perfect formula. Two's the most fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. Two's got great ideas as well. Like, and I think the comedy hits best in two. Mm. Like, at that point, they'd sort of... Because at that point, that's what I'm saying. It's like they'd, they'd started to work out the comedy aspect and some of the emotional resonance, but they hadn't quite got to the... Because like, in this one... Like there's there's a little bit of like sadness, but you never feel like it's as dire as as particularly like three. Yeah, where it gets I, really quite. I hit. think one masters, and I'm glad that I, like I said, I watched all three of them leading up into four when we you know did the podcast years ago, 
And now I just sat down and watched one. And I'm glad I did because I'm able to separate it quite well. But from memory, one really nails the... the I think it's hilarious. I think Toys R Us 1 is really funny still to this day. There's, there's things that Buzz says that only now I'm like finding hilarious compared to maybe 10 years ago. Um, the comedy and the excitement, especially with the ending. Um, they All four of these films have great, like, exciting third acts. Yeah, they do. Well, at least the first three. I don't even actually remember how four ends, really. Four waste of time. I remember, really? how, I remember how it ends. I just don't remember the exciting, like, third I, act. I just... I rising action. I had a debate with Lou about this because she really likes four. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And she's like, well, we're just like answers a lot of questions. And I'm like, what questions? They're all answered. <laughs> it was like when, when Woody leaves. And I'm like... Like and doesn't have an owner, and it's like, what happens to him not having an owner? And I'm like, well, that's the whole point of the movies. Apparently, they don't need owners, despite the first three films saying they 100% need owners. Like, yeah, I didn't say it at the time, but I fought it. And that Toy Story feels like the last Jedi of Toy Story movies. In that, it, it almost feel, you almost feel a little betrayed by the protagonist, by the by the the legacy character. And I think Woody. it's it, it's big things like I love them, Last Jedi, but you know, it's the passive aggressivism <laughs> that's in four, like this franchise that was seemingly untouched by the, the money machine of Disney had, al- had now been course corrected mm. to do so because of these first three films that really feel like they are pure authentic Pixar voice by themselves yep. whereas the fourth one definitely feels like the Disney corporate hand has come and, and desensitized aspects of it mm. because it's like even the jokes and the comparative jokes the first three they, like you said you get jokes as an adult that are kind of they're they're there for the parents taking the yeah. kids to the film. and even the ones that aren't as necessarily like there's a lot of you know hidden non hidden subtext about Woody and Bo Peep's relationship for example but like even the not so crude jokes just jokes that are so like witty under the surface like even like the Picasso joke you uncultured swine like you're not gonna understand that as a seven year old. And while it's not necessarily a crude joke, the older you get, you kind of understand there's references mm-hmm. and find it funny and some of the stuff Buzz well, yeah, says. Exa- exactly. And- or it's like you take the second one where it's like there's this man-child man collecting doll, like collecting toys it's from like a- me with DVDs. And But it's like you as a, as a, you sort of laugh as a kid because, oh, he's dressing up in a chook suit. That's his career but now you yep. watch it as an adult and you're like oh he's a sad collector who's obsessed <laughs> with like it's it's that double falls asleep with the cheese puff things on his hand yeah the, and you're like the, you really yeah. are like this like it's almost like in the like in that scene i know we're not talking about two so much but it's like but it's a 90s film too so I sure can, I can although not, not on the poster two and three not on the poster we checked That's crazy <laughs> um three especially two i could i can give you a pass but sure. it's it's like that scene it's like now when I watch that, I can smell that man. Like, <laughs> I know what his smell is Ugh. now, and I think of that in that scene because oh you're meant God. to. Like when he burps and Woody's like, yeah, we're well, meant to feel like yeah, repulsed and disgusted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I yeah. think look to bring it back to Toy Story One. It's because like from a story and character perspective, like it's great how it all grows and evolves. But you know what we're talking about with these. Pixar short films, and the majority of them were directed by John Lasseter, who, mm-hmm. like you said, the the authentic voices coming through in this in this film in in the first three Toy Stories, yeah. um, and, and that was actually part of the classic story of the development of Toy Story was that Disney wanted it to be edgy and a little rougher and 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 not so clearly for children, and it, it was almost a disaster when they brought in the story um the storyboards 
and then was shut down production. They pretty much had to redo the film from scratch to make it a bit more likable, to make it a bit more like Pixar's voice in terms mm-hmm. of what they wanted to say with this story. And I think at the end of the day, I think it's a combination of that. It's a combination of what we've been talking about with knowing your limitations, especially from a CG standpoint. And the fact that a lot of these Pixar shorts we looked at are, you know, very interesting, but simple shapes that you can see craft in a computer. Something that we could probably do ourselves now in Blender or one of these other Unity, one of these other softwares. Mm. But for them at the time to pioneer this in such an age where we didn't understand what CG was, a lot of the people who worked on this film, especially the producers coming from Disney, they didn't know what the film was even going to look like. They just sort of looked at these drawings and were like, okay, I guess it's going to look like that but not really. Mm. It was a very interesting, archaic time for CG animation. This is, of course, the first ever CGI feature film ever created, which it's astounding that narratively and visually it holds up so well even today, watching mm. it, a HD stream on Disney Plus of it. Um, this film's is such an achievement on yeah. all of those fronts. It's, yeah. It, yeah. it's the birth of Randy Newman's uh, Pixar <laughs> career too. <laughs> That's true, yeah. He's another That's signature out there. Another cornerstone. Um, no, I, I 100% agree. And it's sort of interesting when you like think of casting, because I think that's a really... Yes. You know, we've got to talk about how Tom Hanks and Tim Allen are in this. And obviously, at the time, it's, you know, particularly for Tom Hanks, this is really the the his stardom years, the years that skyrocket him into Hollywood. And... He sort of talks about, like, he actually recorded his lines for Woody in 93, which is... Wow, yeah. Um, that between, predates, like, Forrest Gump and that? Well, and, they're probably around the time Well, this is the that. thing. It pre, it pre, so he did it... He said he was between movies like Sleepless in Seattle and mm. uh, another film, if I checked on the... I'm going to double-check on the two. But before Philadelphia and For, Forrest Gump, which right. are far more... Heavy, well, obviously Forrest Gump has comic parts, but it is a heavier film. Sure, it's, yeah, it's a bit a, more of a drama. It is a, it is more a drama than anything else, and Philadelphia is a very heavy film. And it's sort of interesting to think about because, you know, when you're... Uh, you know, oh, Sleepless in Seattle and A League of Their Own were the two. So much, oh, light, like much, right, much right. lighter films. And he said it's because he wanted to do the lines in that comedic framework rather than jumping back and forth. Right, right. But it, it's sort of like a pretty amazing time to pick up someone like that because now, obviously, the film comes out in 95. You've seen, at this point, Sleepless in Seattle and Forrest Gump, so yeah. it's kind of a, You a know change. who Tom Hanks is. Yeah. And it is that you know who Tim Allen is. Like it For for the sort of underdog story that Pixar are told in, in, the, in their light, to get those stars, to get Randy Newman to do your score, like... Mm. Those are huge gets for your small little, essentially, experiment. Imagine, like, hearing today. I mean, we still get things like that. We have the, um, you know, Loving Vincent. Like, it's a bit of an experimental film in that regards. Um, I see, you can see still get your anthologies every now and then. But it's very rare for us to get films on our screens that are just completely new mediums, completely new experiences. And this was one in the 90s. And I remember talking to mum... I wasn't born yet when it played, but she obviously took my older brother to see it. And I remember her talking about watching this film being like, I've never seen anything like this before. Mm. How revolutionary for the time it was. So for an experimental film of this magnitude to get stars like Tom Hanks and Tim Allen to do this yeah, film. Yeah, well, you got, you got Tim Allen, you know, is an established comedian at this point, and he's just come off the success of Santa Claus. Yeah. So it's like, you now have 
like a comedic heavyweight at the time and a now Hollywood star taking your two lead roles. Mm. The roles that drive this film in particular. Oh, a thousand like percent. Obviously, Toy Story 2 is way more of an ensemble picture. Yeah. Um, from like the whole rescue crew and <laughs> then like the side of Woody. It's this one is just those two really. It's it's a two hander. It's a it's yeah. just those two. Like the the ensemble is such a background to this. Mm. Like they have one or two, maybe one or two scenes without Woody or Buzz present. Sure, and they're usually talking about Woody and Buzz in those scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's I think part of its success really has to go to the voice acting in this because oh my god yeah so much energy to both those roles yeah. Yeah, and it, it really does come across. It's interesting at that point in time to cast Hanks because, you know, at that point he's mostly just been in the rom com scene. So to bring him into a, this film, I think, is quite a, 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 a interesting move. I think. I mean, it ended up paying off, obviously. Well, but I don't. Like, I don't think it's too much of a deviation. I know one of the things they did when they wanted to cast him was they they took a thing from. What's the dog film he did again? The the um, pooch something in pooch. Um, Turner and Hooch. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I was I can't believe I forgot that. But like they took audio from that and then put it over Woody's animation, and that was sort of their pitch to Tom Hanks, and he saw it and he was like, okay, like this seems really interesting. I'm down. So, in terms of wanting that sort of lovable charm that Tom Hanks usually does bring to his roles, but mm-hmm. then having the energy behind him as well. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, everything paid off in the end. But, I mean, the casting's perfect. And, and you know, Tom Hanks is... Everyone loves Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just part of it. So, I think, associating that with the character Woody, who, you know, in the early days was considered a, a complete piece of shit. <laughs> and they had to completely rewrite the film to make him less unlikable. So, it's, it's interesting the journey that that, that goes on. i got to say about Buzz... So we're talking about characters here. We're talking about Woody is obviously his position is Andy's favorite toy is threatened, mm-hmm. and he's always sort of on edge and always sort of filled with anxiety. And then you got Buzz. I think okay, every time I watch Toy Story, every time I rewatch Toy Story, mm-hmm. I get a little more confident saying Buzz Lightyear might be one of the greatest characters ever. I generally believe that. Why is that? I think. I think he has the best arc. He has a great arc over the movies. sort of the um a very existential <laughs> crises of an arc, and as much as we talk about Toy Story two, three, and four being about existential crises and and toys being abandoned and left behind and you know uselessness and that, I think this film still sneaks it in a little bit with Buzz's arc, and especially when he goes into a manic depressive stage while he's drinking tea. <laughs> oh, absolutely fantastic! But I think there is a commitment to the Buzz character and the fact that he believes in his own space lore and the evil mm. Emperor Zerg and obviously that all plays out in fun ways in the in the sequels but he's just so entertaining to watch when you when you see when you use that expression about like someone carrying mm. a film or like like an actor you're always interested in watching them Buzz just ticks every single box to a T he is so entertaining funny fascinating and I, f- I kind of do miss it when he does realize who he is, but they always find interesting ways to do it. I, the Spanish well, buzz in the third I film. I was going to say, and then Factory <laughs> Reset, yeah. you, like in that third film or in the second one when like he gets doppelganged. So like, 
And there's that very awesome, mo- like a funny moment where he just pops his like helmet off, oh, yeah, and he's then like, the other choke is just staring yeah. at him like <laughs> with just pure dis- disdain and disappointment. Um, yeah, it's it's and obviously they do the "I am your father" thing with the whole playing oh, yeah, cats at the end. That's like, so funny. Yeah, I just the more I watch Buzz, the more I'm just so effortlessly entertained by him, no matter what he's doing or saying, and he's got. Some of the most iconic lines ever in this film. Yeah, yeah you're mocking me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> or even the sad, sad, strange little man. Like, well, it's falling in style, right? For, yeah, it's falling with. St- I mean, even that's a great pa- plan and payoff how they say each other's lines by the end. Yeah. But just watching Buzz on screen is like so entertaining and so fun. I like he's one of the greatest characters. He truly just is. I don't know. I don't know how else to like pitch that. I guess in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, what I do like about this film. This sort of sets the precedent for Pixar films in general. Yeah, but I reckon honestly, this film upwards to that 2011 slot, especially sets up the sinister villain, which I th- or the sinister okay. antagonist. Yep. Which Toy Story has probably one. Well, I reckon all the Toy Story, at least the first three, have pretty sinister villains, especially one and three. Yeah, but. <laughs> Um, Sid is Sid, sort of yeah. like the most absolute villain in all of Pixar lore, right? Because <laughs> there's nothing likable about him. Between him yeah. and like probably Hopper are the two that are like, <laughs> there's no redeeming aspect to either of them. Yeah, yeah. And they both get pretty, like, I mean, pretty dire endings yeah. when you think about it. Like, he might be scarred be... for life, Sid. <laughs> And that's so funny that, like, obviously they, they do that little callback in the third one where he's got, like, a like he picks up lots of Hug and Bear. And oh, yeah, he, yeah. he's the trash man. And he seems normal. Like, they almost had to correct it because they were, like, <laughs> for 15, 20, or for 20 years, 25 yeah. years, people were like, oh, Sid must be completely messed up. He, <laughs> he literally saw all of his toys come to life, like, break yeah. the golden rule. Yeah, yeah. Which... They really never, like, address that again. The fact that these toys broke this cardinal sin of, of becoming it's, animated. It's interesting because, like, yeah, that's the thing. That's, like, an established rule from the very go. It's like they cannot be caught out. And obviously to defeat this villain, they have to do it. They have to call themselves out and, and basically spook him. It is sort of a superpower they have is they can freak out any human they want. <laughs> but what I always find funny about that is I was always under the assumption like, it's weird now watching the films as an adult, because it never registered me as a kid that that was, like, what they were doing was kind of breaking that card in the rule, because I always thought they would just go inanimate automatically when they knew a kid was around, but they have to actively oh, right. do it. Yeah, no, they choose when and when they're on and off, I guess. Which is kind of crazy to think about, because... How there's not been more crazy sightings of these toys? Like, how are they so good at timing it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all been <laughs> in rooms sometimes, and someone stormed in without permission. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's sort of like one of those things. It's kind of crazy, but yeah. Obviously, like the fact that Sid doesn't get completely and utterly scarred for life and is not <laughs> carted out of there in a straitjacket. I'm surprised that we, as kids watching this, from didn't get scarred for life when all the all the deformed, bloody, disfigured toys came to life. Oh in, no, that, that, that did that did spook me for a while. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, there was a, there's, there's still an uncomfortable with that baby doll on the spider. Body. Oh yeah, yeah, on the spider like... legs. Yeah. Oh, it's great, and there's almost no, there's almost nothing cute about it either. It's just 
Loki pretty terrifying. <laughs> well, it's sort of like things like him putting the the soldier on the rocket, and just yeah. being like like we're you know like we're actually watching the death of it's that Shark Week thing where it's like we yeah. know this is an inanimate object, but we're actually seeing the active there, death. There of is emotion because when Woody when he puts the wood, the glass to Woody to burn like his forehead, he feels that pain. He has to hold on to that pain until Sid leaves the room. So I was like, when that, then that toy, when uh, combat Carl explodes, <laughs> that's a real like thing that's emoting and feels pain. That just exploded. <laughs> and they never do any like they don't go that dark ever again. Like at worst, they like they actually don't go that harsh ever again because like in the second one, Woody gets damaged and it's more like he's an old toy that's worried about being put on the shelf. Like the even though like in the previous pain, even yeah. Though, yeah even yeah. though the previous film it's like Buzz loses an entire arm like <laughs> it's like that's a that's a whole part of it you know yeah it's such an interesting balance because yeah like they establish the toys do feel pain but sometimes they just don't like when Buzz loses the arm I think he's more just like in a depressed state or maybe like a state of shock that he doesn't like, ah, ah, my arm, ah, like he doesn't start screaming. How are all those disfigured toys alive or animate? It's just, it's just a fascinating laws we're exploring here. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, I think those are maybe like, maybe just don't question it too Those much. are the extents that I think the creators of I, Toy Story didn't. I think <laughs> what I'm more trying to say is we don't actually see that level of cynicism in right. Pixar villains and and with the exclusion of maybe like I said, Hopper and Bugs Life or Syndrome in Incredibles, where we actively see a person killing other people, right, right, which is that doesn't exist in many of the like the the and arguably you could argue that at least definitely Syndrome, Syndrome and Sid are probably two of the better villains too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people regard Syndrome as the best villain of yeah. all time. So maybe well, I, th- that- I think for Sid as well was like. First off, up until that big twist where it's the only thing they can do to get out of the situation is they can't communicate or negotiate with Sid. He's just like a kid who's not necessarily deranged, but that's just like his thing is like he likes tormenting with these toys. And as far as like he's... I love that we're talking about this. As far as like his moral compass is concerned, these toys don't have feelings. So he's just sort of... Maybe like him messing with uh, his sister's doll is going to like emotionally disrupt her yeah but so as a villain he is terrifying because he doesn't realize what he's doing to these toys is, is as horrifying as it actually is and I, I i seem to recall especially the the sort of point is sid's a little older than andy too like yeah probably not, a couple of years older yeah and that's an interesting part too that andy just ends up being this really good kid the whole way through which yep. we could address that because he really does end up being this wholesome good kid and we actually find out i think in the third film that he i think he's just living with his mum like he's just yeah well the dad's not in the picture it's pretty much subtly commented that they at least separated or there was never a dad around they're moving house so yeah why are they moving house yeah and that's really really interesting (laughs) subtext there and I think it's alluded in, in Sid's situation that his parents aren't exactly the most supportive people. Like, mm. they're not, like, super nice parents or anything like that. They're, there's a reason he's sort of acting the way he's acting, and I, I think that the subtext is all there. Like, yeah, I guess. Like, a lack of attention, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. it's... 
you know, I think the only time we hear anything is when the little sister dobs, right? And then that's sort of the only time we hear anything about the parents. Yeah, and he, he screams, he's like, whatever she said, she's lying. Like, this is such a dynamic there that, that is in place. So it's like, you cannot negotiate with Sid, the villain. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's important because it's like, they make out like Andy's house is the Shangri-La of toys, whereas Cross the Road is hell. Yeah. Like, and obviously we find out as like, as you know, as as Woody comes to see, there's nothing wrong with these toys that look different. They're not conventional toys. That doesn't mm. mean they're not toys. Yeah, like what Sid does, um, outside of the the destroying and blowing <laughs> up of toys. But then again, like I said, if they're inanimate objects, it's like why? Like what's what's he necessarily doing that's wrong? Like it's interesting how perception works. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it from the perception of these toys, and I get, and that's the genius again of Pixar, especially in these early days where every one of their films was like, let's look at life through the lens of something else. And for this, it's toys, and it's obviously it goes on to be fishes and, and fish and monsters and bugs and because um, isn't, isn't superheroes? <laughs> aren't they doing the wrong thing by giving some kid PTSD? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. It's part of the survival. Yeah. that's it it's part of their survival instinct to, to get out of that situation and, but then yeah it's like what, what Sid's doing to these toys is so inhumane and cruel that that is the juxtap- the, the juxtapication I guess that Buzz Woody rather is we need to do something to scar him to make him feel bad about what he's doing he doesn't realise what he's doing until we basically speak up <laughs> break the cardinal rule but I, I think it's interesting that that rule's unspoken well, that rule's also never addressed again. Like, mm. why does why in the second film do they not use it to get out of the scenario they're in in the second situation? Right, where, yeah. when, when Woody's abducted and and taken by this man that just wants to sell him. Like, and I guess he kind of gets caught up with the fact that he wants to be relocated to this yeah, sure. museum because he gets caught in the allure of his relevancy. Well, but... I think part of it is that the villains in the other films are other toys, not humans. So in terms of like a direct villain to have to negotiate yeah, well, with... That's a, that's the powerful shift, I reckon. The yeah. positive powerful shift mm-hmm. too. Because it allows them to sort of always be talking and discussing and it becomes the theology of toys that gets yep. questioned. Yeah. Um, and what it means to, quote, be a toy. It's interesting the self-awareness that the toys actually have. The one I really... So I, I mean, Ham has always been sort of the, one of the more intelligent toys mm-hmm. and he always seems to be a bit more, like, outspoken. Not not necessarily politically, but he seems to be a bit more knowledgeable in things. Like, he, he's the one that asks But he's Buzz, also the least toy-like because he's not really technically a toy. He's a that's true. Bag. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. He's got the, he's got the money, I guess, knowledge. I don't, I don't know what the association is there. But like, he's the one that asks Buzz, like, oh, well, like, which country were you manufactured in? And they all seem to know sort of which stores they're from and which companies made them. Mm. Um, but I, I like the ham sort of one. And he's the one that's like, oh, like, impressive copper, your audio box. Like, he just seems to be more aware than everyone else about like how mm. toys are made and <laughs> how that all works, which I think is quite interesting but but they're all like that i think because even even um rex knows which factory he's from <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it buzzes but that's another thing that they don't really go into is why is buzz not self-aware out of the box is every toy not self-aware out of the box there's a lot of these sort of philosophical questions that the film doesn't go out of its way to answer in terms of the why never really does but then no. what we, i mean the second one just confirms that thing that Actually, yeah, everything out of the box 
isn't self-aware. They think right, that they yeah. think they what they are what they are. Because the other buzzers are like that too, aren't they? Yeah, well, he's yeah. factory. Yeah, he's the other buzz is a factory um, toy, and then it's not only that; it's also if you go when they go through the whole toy store, everyone's sort of on their factory settings. Like all the Barbies yeah. are just acting like they're Barbie type, right? Okay. Um, like none of them, they all, but then they know that. I guess they know their toys, but not toys. Yeah, it's. It- <laughs> This is it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because huh. you imagine when Buzz, Buzz is initially like freezing when Andy comes in the room, he's sort of just copying what everyone else is doing. He's sort of like blending into the culture of this, you know, this new planet that he's uh, approached on. Yeah. And, but then there's that whole maybe those new toys are just made differently. Uh, you know, what? it could be. I actually generally think I I wrote this down that the but first guy of the fourth one proves it too because Forky thinks he's trash. Yeah, well, that's it. And then that's more of like, is he the abomination? He was created not in a factory, but by a kid's imagination. And there's a lot of interesting things going on there. But the one thing in terms of the technological age, you joked about it, but I think there's something there. that They make a big point of Buzz is like technologically more advanced than all the other toys in there. Like Woody's obviously a pull-up string. Buzz actually has a voice box inside of him. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's a commentary there. And the fact that you probably couldn't really make Toy Story... Today, maybe, because kids only get iPads. Well, maybe because Christmas toys presents. become so realistic that they start to believe that they are what right. they're created to be. Yeah, potentially. Whereas yeah. when they're more archaic and more primordial, they're they're self aware of what they are. Maybe mm, because and uh, this is getting into sequel territory, but Woody is so unaware of his own fame and success as the cowboy. But if he were on factory reset mode, if he were to wake up, wouldn't he know the law? Of like the Woody, Woody's, Woody's roundup and yeah. yeah, so it's in. I think you might be honest with the technological advancements there. Yeah, whereas so like maybe Toy Story Five because there probably will be a Toy Story Five. <laughs> there will be. Yeah, uh, you're right. You didn't think be. there'd be four, and here uh, four. We exists. didn't even think there would be three. Yeah, remember so back then. Yeah, five will happen, and it will be probably. It probably might be something to do with that. Maybe it'll be something to do with technology getting yeah. involved with the toys and overwriting. You know, uh, let's be real. They'll probably address the fact that toddlers now can have access to tablets. So yeah, well, I was at I was at a Mother's Day breakfast the other day, and and five six year old cousins are just head first into the iPad. And I think it's really good we're, we're delving into the philosophical side because from a story point of view, it's a very simple story. Oh yeah, and we've already talked about the animation feats that we're already impressed with, and. Even, like I said, the birth of sort of the iconoclastic music from Randy Newman, which mm. carries on to a plethora of different uh, Pixar properties. And sort of, yeah, just like we were talking about the, the voice acting, and that really kind of encompasses this movie by itself. So it's more about, I reckon, understanding the lore of this world because it's worth exploring. Because it's I had the same thought today when we were watching the Pixar shorts and we saw Jack-Jack attacks. And I was yep. sort of sitting there going like, Oh well, there's a reason she's not really freaking out about Jack Jack's abilities, like sure. super abilities, because she's babysitting a super baby. Like she sort of know, like kind of expects the baby to be well. In the sense, super. I, from memory, I don't know if she knows that the Parr family are super powered, but that there are superheroes in that world. Yeah, and that's so why it's not that syndrome. out of the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's like she may not have been alive when. Or very old when those supers were around publicly. Sure. But obviously, she knows they exist. Exactly. Like, they didn't yeah. just die out. Like, it's yeah. not a, children of, it's not a exactly. children of men situation <laughs> where no one can reproduce. Like, 
And I kind of like that. And I actually do like how the second one sort of explores the rebranding of superheroes. And I would actually really look forward to a third Incredibles film in that situation. But sure. It's like when we come back to Toy Story, it's like it is important to ask all these questions because we've sort of gotten pseudo answers over the years, but they've sort of more focused on messaging rather than the, the philosophical law or what's actually concrete and what's not concrete because if this is a cardinal rule that's universally known by even buzz knows it and if buzz right almost instinctually it, yeah like at his core he maybe knew he was a toy and it's the denial of his identity maybe is, is this uh, tell me if this is bizarre but it's almost like the whole you know babies are drawn to nipples and this idea of like the bre- breastfeeding is like it's yeah. almost like a human na- what's a cognitive yeah thing that's just like programmed. No, I think there's a there's actually a proper probably theoretical idea idea behind it because like then why does Buzz yeah why does Buzz let Andy play with him? Yeah, exactly. Is it because he's like scouting the the <laughs> world he's with by letting this giant like what does he say? He's like your sheriff, not sheriff Andy, but like your. Your leader, Andy, inscribed his name on my foot. Like, he has that line where he acknowledges Andy as, like, the almighty leader of this planet sort of thing. Mm. I can't remember the exact line, but... Yeah, it's, it's, he sort of indoctrinates that culture very quickly as, as someone who's... Mm. It's, yeah, it's fascinating because, like, you don't really see people point at these as, like, potholes. It's almost just, like, these fascinating results of the story. Because the sto- we talked about the script. It's 80 minutes, and it is it is so tight... It is so airtight the script and the story that like things like that, they're almost kind of fun to discuss. Yeah, it's not like we're punching down at this film for those reasons. No, we both love this film. Yeah, oh, so it's, it's fantastic. So it's like more fun to talk about because they start to tidy this stuff up with the years. Like Toy sure. Story ends up being this imperfect. It's best way is imperfect masterpiece because it's got all of these sort of sort of problems like that. But they were like, or holes that potential holes in the ship. But you don't, you kind of ignore them because of the the feet and the entertaining side and sure. the comedy side. And the character work is so good. Whereas when we're talking about that, when I the quintessential Pixar films, that 07 to ten, those four films particularly, hmm. they don't have the same kind of plot holes. They're right. they're tight films hmm. that poignantly discuss like themes and emotions acutely and accurately like and you're left with no oh but why is that like that sure and there's still that fictional aspect like balloons lifting a house up like you're not we're not losing that essence of fascination and and magic that all of these films sort of encompass but the resonance and the emotional weight of that film yeah is is there or, or even by Incredibles, it's pretty tight. Like everything, I, everything makes sense. Mm, I think part of the the lunar narrative dissonance is probably the best way to, to call it is because it is animated, because it is so early in its time. And like I've I've been comparing this film a lot to Pinocchio, and the, in a lot of ways, I feel like this is almost a sequel to Pinocchio in mm. terms of our. We talked about Pinocchio last year on the show, so in, in that regard, number one for the fact that the entire first act takes place in the same room. Pinocchio all takes place in basically one room for that first act, same as Toy Story. But even just those slight nods to... I, I talked to you off the show about the Looney Tunes effect where characters are kind of smooshed and stretched out to an to a unbelievable degree. And while we did see it a little bit in the Andre and Wally B 
short film they did, Toy Story, with the very, very rare exceptions, like when Woody's got his like funny little run, like that is close to defying gravity, but quite doesn't. The other one, in terms of visual comedy, is when they're throwing, this is during the final chase in the RV, they're throwing Woody around and bloody one of them does like a pile driver onto him mm. but all the all the times they hit woody it actually affects rc and buzz on the other end of the street and their car does flips and does circles and it's like that doesn't make sense <laughs> but yeah. it's out of that very subtle looney tunes nod of comedy where it's like let's add a little bit of slapstick here because we can get away from it because it is animation so i think part of that dissonance comes from it's an animated film. It's It's got such great character and story work that we don't question the laws of Toy Story, even though they really are, you're right, very vague and confusing. And <laughs> Even with three more sequels, not entirely explained. Did you, but, know, did you mm. also know the um, the voice of Rex is Wallace Shawn from The Princess yes, Bride? Yes, I did. Just, I, remember, <laughs> I remember hearing when I was watching it, I was like, I was like that's, that's inconceivable. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, no, there's some good ones. I mean, you got um Don Rickles as Mr. Potato. Mr. Potato is so good. He is so funny in this film. He's a, he's an asshole, but he's so funny. Oh, like, in all three. The, oh yeah, of course. I think maybe he done he did the 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 voice work for him in Toy Story. I don't think I remember. He him passed away a little before. while ago now. Yeah, 2017. Okay, we might have. He probably didn't do four then. Yeah, I don't think he has many lines in four. To be fair, yeah, four is such right. a. Oh no, 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 no! I think four they they reused old lines. Okay, I remember reading that. Yeah, that's that's icky. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about a, that. Yeah, but to be fair, there was quite a few like Slink, of... Slinky was passed. Oh, he passed away a long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's right, it's sort of right. one of those things where it's like, but the the fourth one particularly is quite weird because there's quite a few in there that are like either part like I think they've passed away and like you just sort of like it's such a weirdly constructed film i'm just not a fan of four at all and never was going to be a fan of four but um you know still got a relatively high grade four yeah 3.6 so take take what you will with that but i was just having it yeah that mr potato it's so funny oh he's he's hilarious he's clearly got like this jealousy of woody because he's just so directly angry at him all the time yeah and especially when he becomes when woody becomes jealous of buzz mr potato is always the first person to to point it out, yeah. which is great. It sort of leads me to this. This easily could have been in our trivia facts and whatnot, but it's interesting to see how many of these toys are original creations versus how many of them are recognizable brand names. And Mr. Potato is probably the most recognizable brand name. And you obviously got a like, Mattel yeah. classic. Exactly. Mattel. And um, T Rexes. He's also Rexes. I'm pretty sure. I f- yeah, I think I read that Rex, it was out of commission that particular like toy that they're referencing so that yeah. was pretty easy for them to get the rights to that obviously you got like your excellent sketch sort of shake board i don't know if that's general or if that's you know whatever i'm not no, too sure no it is a i think it is a particular brand that uh, okay sketch. so the two that they struggle with this is interesting we mentioned combat car before that they explode that was originally meant to be gi joe and of course because they explode him they were like mm, i think it was hasbro that yeah. owned him. they were like nah nah thank you now the other one was Bo Peep was actually meant to be Barbie. Now, Mattel, who does own Barbie, um, basically their excuse at the time, well, excuse, their reasoning was that a lot of, you know, little girls project their own personalities onto their Barbie dolls. So we don't want to, like, associate Barbie with a particular personality. 
Now, while that sounds like, okay, I actually kind of appreciate that on paper, why do you think Barbie's in the second film? Because this film made money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I think... And and they go with a very, very pretty much exactly how you think Barbie would sound. Right, yeah. In the second <laughs> in the second film. Uh, to be fair, they do subvert it a bit in the third film. Yeah, they work she's it very back really clever. Well. Only, and I think the reason why she's so good in the third one is is because Ken is just so laughably... He's the funny... I yeah. still think he's the funniest character in all of these films. Ken yeah. and Barbie in Toy Story 3. It's just so Again, good. like, on paper, that does not appeal to me at... Especially as a kid. Yeah. I was like, I don't care about Barbie and Ken. There's a girl... To, they are so funny. <laughs> Toy Story 3. I mean, she's funny in Toy Story 2 as well. But like The way they move. Yeah. Oh, the animation's perfect. Their little stiffness. <laughs> it's like Duke. Honestly, it's, it's like Toy Story 4. What's the best part? It's, oh, it's Keanu Reeves' Duke Kaboom, yeah. isn't it? It just is. It's not... Like, you're having PTSD. He can't yeah. do the jump. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. No, they all... I think those, like, ideas of just, like, how do we represent this toy in, like, a funny way? I think they always... They always nail it, you know? And like you said, with the toy soldiers, like the fact that the animators are like sticking their um, shoes to like planks of wood or whatever. It's like, it's just like them thinking out of the box of like, okay, before we rig these models with with bones, and most of these aren't humanoid toys. So it's like, let's, we can get really wacky with how to animate them. And there's got to be some basis into the real life toy animation, like with the toy soldiers. But you can tell they're having fun with it, especially with Barbie and Ken and the stiffness of them and it's just, yeah, they, they, they were having so much fun with this, clearly. The one thing I was surprised... So I, we talked about this with Ollie a little bit before we started this show, but how we were talking about how good Toy Story holds up aesthetically and in terms of the animation. And he was talking about how as much as he loves Ice Age, that film doesn't hold up nearly as well. And it's actually several years more recent than Toy Story. Mm. And I think part of the reason we were talking about it again is like this idea that Pixar knew their limitations, you know, cloth, hair, skin, that's going to be tough. Let's make our prime characters plastic toys. Even, like, the hair is just, like, a plastic reflective model. But that being said, when I went back into Toy Story, we both watched it this past weekend, I was surprised at how often we get good looks at human characters. We get Mm -hmm. good looks at Andy and his mom, at Sid, Sid's sister, the, the pizza driver. Like We get really good looks at all of these characters, I thought they were going to go the E.T. route of, you know, chop off the heads, always frame low, never get a good look at a human. I was shocked at how often we see humans, and they don't look that bad. I say probably the dog. Yeah. I reckon the dog ages probably the way. It's a very rough um, running animation that the dog has. But, um, oh, my God. I, I just kind of, like, laughed out of disbelief when... Obviously, they lead Sid's dog outside so they can kind of escape into the backyard. Mm. But how, like, resolving that issue and then when they get into the back of the moving van or the moving truck and the dog comes back because he's at the front and he's, like, little (laughs) knowing stare down of, like, there you are, I'm going to get you. (laughs) Like, it was just such a disbelief of, oh, my God, what a clever little trick story-wise to bring the dog back in as a mode of danger. Like, ah, just so, I don't know, excellent. Pretty great. Well, Jake, mm. I think it's time for us to move into our highlight scene. Let's do it. What are you thinking? Oh, crap. <laughs> I got to think of a highlight. Right. Okay, you know what? Okay, this would be my highlight scene. This would be- Okay, first off, the, the buzz drinking tea and getting drunk of it is so, so hilarious. Yeah. 
It's just so funny. I need to point out one other scene, though. Okay. So, this is pretty much leaving the first act. We see Woody's... Oh, well, this you know this is going to be a, 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 a fat. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to phase off real quick. Andy's not going to replace me as his favorite toy. And then we get a big montage of him falling in love with bars and changing the bed sheets and that. Now, the there's a particular cut I want to point out. Again, the, the genius of Pixar here. And, and like you said, sort of trying to do realistic motivation. The camera doesn't move in any way that it couldn't do in real life. Mm-hmm. When Andy runs into the closet and then it does like a match cut fast forward of him coming out in the Buzz mm-hmm. homemade outfit, there is just the slightest little cut where the camera like itches slightly to the left. It's the most subtle little movement that I love that they sort of purposely left this imperfection in. They didn't leave it in. They, they put it in because it's animated. It's a virtual camera. They can just mm-hmm. literally keep it there. They don't change the lighting. They don't change the framing. But they do. Just sort of replicate the imperfection of live-action film. And it's so subtle. If you if you not don't know what I'm talking about, please go back to that montage and watch it very carefully. It's oh, just attention to detail from Pixar. Wonderful, wonderful mm. stuff. But yeah, that, that has to be my, my highlight cut, <laughs> my highlight shot. Yeah. If that counts, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to a scene we haven't even talked about. Um, Ooh. Okay. I find uh, I'm gonna pick two, two because you've 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 done two. But the fair enough. I do like the claw scene. The oh claw my scene. god, the claw scene's excellent. Um, where we get introduced, <laughs> they get thrown into a uh, hand grab machine, and um, that is so unrealistic that Sid gets two successful grabs with that machine in a row. That yeah. is so unrealistic. It's the most unrealistic part of the film. It's a is <laughs> an entertaining um, scene. Yeah. Um, but the you are a toy scene. I think oh under the God. under the tire. Um, we're talking about how these two play off each other. Yeah. And at this point now they're left to just each other, and it's one of the first scenes that we get with it's them. It's the most honest scene. Yeah. They have together. Yeah. And we really get to see Tom Hanks's animated nature in full effect, and. We sort of actually, in that scene, get to see part of why Woody's not as much of a as a dick as we think he is. And actually, <laughs> it sort of starts to favour him a little bit because of how obnoxious Buzz is in that scene and how resistant. But right. it's a really nice back and forth between the two that actually starts to show the emotional resonance of the film about identity. Um, and I actually think the silhouette, the outside silhouette of the, the gas station is quite mm. powerful. Yeah. In that sequence. I um, like his line, we seem to be in some gigantic refueling station. <laughs> it's it's quite a good scene. Yeah. And the Cars parody later on is pretty funny. With the little, two little cars. Oh, yeah, Max yeah, yeah. Really it's bit yeah, of Cars love. Good, One day. One. I know, Cars. We should do Cars and Punk Guys just to piss everyone off. And a bug's life. <laughs> I like think cars gets all the scrutiny, like how do cars reproduce? Like that's like the the big thing. Whereas in this, that we've just poked out all these things, everyone's like, no, but it's great though. It's like you got to be consistent yeah. with your your whole plot. To be fair, I don't think Toy Story ever talked about reproducing toys. Like the, all the toys are made. No, but what I'm saying is like, oh, the, you mean like in general that level of scrutiny? Yet we've right, just pointed the all these philosophical yep. questions of is it a cardinal rule to not be animated, and if right. so, why is Buzz, who thinks he's not a toy, sure, not just sure, walking around like the bee's knees? And I thought you meant specifically reproducing. We might be onto something. Maybe it's the evolution <laughs> of a toy. I reckon. I reckon it's a technological advancement of toys. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. Well, 
Thank you for this lovely discussion, Zeke. Yeah, thanks, bud. Toy, Toy Story. Story is currently out on Disney Plus and wide release. Everywhere. 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 Speaking of both of those <laughs> things, Jake, what's new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Man, this is a dry week, Zeke. You got a Detective Pikachu and Binge. Cool. Fun film. It's a good, yeah. We did it. Made me excited for what we could do with Pokemon if someone actually just, if they did less of the fun Ryan Reynolds. What's with Ryan Reynolds and dad films now? <laughs> It's like his new thing. He did the change up ages ago as well, where he turns into a dad. Oh, that's a bad movie. I watched that like last year. Yeah, a good movie. My my favorite is because the poster has him with the two girls wrapped around him. When when we were in the eighth grade, me and my friend Christian, we like posed mm. in place of Ryan Reynolds in the poster. Legit, so, Adam like, Project and Detective Pikachu, us. like the same film. <laughs> um, I think he looks the same too. He's got the glasses and everything. Else. Oh, yeah, that's fair. But it's like one of those things. It's like such a good, <laughs> it was such a good film to be like, yes, I'm really excited. Let's get a Pokemon film out of next one. Yeah, well, I don't think they have many plans to do more of them. I don't think. It made money though. Did, yeah, I guess it would have. Just don't do a mystery thing. Well. Like just do like a, and the world was so believable. It actually made me legitimately excited. It, yeah, the visual was it was really interesting, wasn't it? The visuals. Because they went for a real, like, Pokemon are real. Like, they did the fur and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and the side, a lot of them are huge. Yeah, they actually did their realistic sizes. Yeah, yeah. It was so cool. It was very... Like, but the Pokemon battle, best part of the whole thing. Yeah. And three kind minutes of, of the film. Over it. <laughs> and you're like... Yeah, that's another one we did in the 20s. Man, we're, we're referencing a lot of really old podcasts right now. Yeah. That might have actually been... Between Detective Pikachu, Toy Story 4, and Blind Spotting, I think you put Thunder Road in there. We literally did those four like back to back to back to back. Mm. Episode Thunder like Road currently on SBS on demand. Oh, there you go. For free. There you go. Watch it. With, with ads, but. Best 12 minutes ever. Oh, the short film. Oh, no, no. Well, the, the features on there. Okay, cool. To be cool. honest, you could probably just watch the features. Uh, the short's probably better than the feature, to be honest. Okay. I mean, I love I like the feature a lot. Yeah, of course. But- how good is the short? Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Actually, actually, it's the song as well. So there is that, I guess. But like I said, other than that and Netflix, you've got a couple of films. The Perfect Pairing sees a go-getter LA wine executive signing on to work. And an Australian sheep farm to whenever a major client ends up developing sparks with a rugged, mysterious local. It was like a Jackass 4.5, which is weird because I didn't realize Jackass 4 was... I don't think it's on Netflix. No, I think weird. it is. Weird place to put it. I really don't know. Anyway, coming to cinemas as well, and these are all playing at Luna. You have Everything Went Fine, which is a woman's struggle to come to terms with her 85-year-old father's request to help him end his life. Uh, yeah, it sounds pretty bloody heavy. Fun. <laughs> it sounds so fun, Zeke. Uh, the Innocence is set during a bright Nordic summer and allows, uh, sorry, follows a group of children who review their dark and mysterious powers when the adults aren't looking. That a Nordic chronicle, that sounds dope. Mm. It sounds really it's a sequel dope. to Northman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's tweaked the title a little bit. And finally, to Olivia, which is a biopic that covers Roald Dahl, played by Hugh Bennyville, and Patricia Neal, played by Kaylee Hawes, as they deal with the loss of their daughter. The film also marks the final p- appearance, should I say, performance of Jeffrey Palmer. That sounds interesting. Biopic mm. dealio. Yeah, that's it. Pretty dry week this week, Zeke. Well, that's okay, because we're just continuing on with our mm. countdown through the decade 
retrospective, it's actually a director's corner next week. It Jake. is, yeah. We're two directors going up and two films going up. So who's the director we're doing and what's the film we're watching? Yeah, well, I'll say the poll was between well, two legends in their own right. You have Tony Scott and Sam Raimi. Of course, uh, either they or their properties are gaining a lot of traction at the moment, this month in particular. Now, of course, the Tony Scott film won in the poll. 29 to 21. So, unfortunately, we're not covering The Evil Dead. That's not going to be our segue to Doctor Strange. We will, however, be talking about, next week on the show, Top Gun. going to send you up against the best. Yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. The wild card flies by the seat of his pants. I guess when I see something, I go right after it. It takes a lot more than just fancy flying. Gentlemen, this school is about combat. There are no points for second place. You figured it out yet? What's that? Who's the best pilot? No, I think I can figure that one out on my own. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis. Top Gun. As students from the United States Navy's elite fighter weapons school compete to be best in the class, one daring young pilot learns a few things from a civilian instructor that are not taught in the classroom. Jeez, I really wing that grammatically. Jesus Christ. Well, Tony Scott <laughs> is a pretty wide release sort of director. Um, mm. Really just had to quickly look through films that he's done. Um, outside of, but he's actually done quite a bit, hasn't he? He's done quite a lot. Crimson Tide. I watched the um, Unstoppable. That's a train one, I believe. I watched that uh, several years ago. My boss, actually, my VR boss, worked on many films with Mr. Tony Scott, and uh, it may have perhaps said a little controversial thing in saying that he might be the best Scott. Ooh, Ooh. we already did Ridley. We did. We did. He. We actually did Ridley. Zeke. Yes. We did Ridley. For the director's corner, last year's countdown through the decades for the nineteen eighties. That's actually insane. That's crazy. We did not even totally plan intended. that. We didn't even plan that. That's sick. Oh goodness. Anyway, so like I said, we're not doing the Evil Dead. Would have been very interesting for him on the cover, but alas, in the in the wave of uh, Maverick arriving, we are doing the original Top Gun. I haven't seen it. I don't think you've seen it. Or the first ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. I was really kind of excited to watch it. Mm. Big film. Big film for particularly, um, obviously, A, Tony Scott, and B, um, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Massive film for him. Mm. Um, sort of, you know, around this time, the only other film of note that he did was Colour of Money with Scorsese, which I talked about a couple months ah, ago. Fantastic okay. film. Yeah. With Paul Newman. Um, but yeah, obviously Tony Scott known for people like Man on Fire, which, great film. Oh really my like God, him. he directed Man on Fire. Wow. Man on Fire is sick. Yeah. Um, he's actually done a lot with Denzel. Like uh, and Denzel yeah. Will Smith too, as controversial as that is now. Um bit of a hit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um 
stupid. Yes. Um, no, yeah, yeah. I'm actually really excited to do someone that I've, I've got a couple of films from him that I've been meaning to watch that I haven't watched. So yeah, I guess it's gonna be a good time as anyway. Week, which yeah. is kind of awesome. No, I didn't even think about it from that. So it's like, yeah, I should start watching a bunch of other Tony Scott films. Let's yeah. do it. Let's so jump we'll, on we'll it. find out what exactly Tony Scott means as a director with a conveniently lined up Scott year apart retrospective. So that's fun. <laughs> it really is. I, I did. That's crazy. We didn't do that on purpose either. No. And that's funny because I'm pretty sure I submitted Blade Runner last year and then you submitted Top Gun this year. Yeah. So it actually ended up being a bit of a nice little uh, tag team there. Yeah. And obviously great timing with the new film coming out. So... Look at us. Look at us go. Until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Top Gun. Meow. Hi. <laughs>